Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at EFRI. Um, before we jump into our message, I wanted to take a moment to pray for um, the community of El Paso that was affected yesterday and the community of Dayton, Ohio that was affected um, through tragedy um, last night. So let me pray if you would join me. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we come to you because you are the source of hope, and you are the source of help in times of trouble. So Lord, we ask that you would help these two communities. God, we pray for all of those family members and friends and loved ones that lost a loved one. God, pray that you would continue to encourage them and comfort them in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their trouble. God, we pray for all those first responders that have put their lives on the line to go and to serve and to help. And Lord, we pray that you would watch over them um, mentally and physically, God, that they would um, not carry any long-term burdens from um, this event, these events. And Lord, we pray and we ask that you continue to change the hearts of humanity, God, that we need new hearts. We need hearts that love you and love our neighbors as our, we love ourselves. That there is no more hate inside of us, God. Would you please continue to change hearts and continue to spread the gospel across our country that there might be fewer and fewer of these events. God, uh, I also think about what Jesus said, that he said, in this world we'll have trouble, but take heart because you have overcome the world. And so, God, we, we hold on to Jesus who has overcome the world. We hold on to him who is our hope and our help. And, God, I pray that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of despair, God, we would not fall into despair, but we would hold on to our great king who never leaves us or abandons us. And that he, he entered into our story and entered into our world so that one day there would come a day when there is no more sorrow, there is no more pain, there is no more terror. And, God, we thank you that that day is coming. And we pray that you would... Um, continue to change hearts. God, we thank you that you're near to us, and we thank you for your help, and we pray and we ask that this would not happen in our own community, that you would continue to guard over and watch over us, that this would stay far away from our, our buildings and our people, God, um, in Kearney, Nebraska, and the surrounding communities, God, that you would continue to watch over and help us um, to love our neighbors well. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Um, so again, my name is Jordan, and I get to work with middle school and high school students here at eFree, and I also um, get to leave the venue. So if you haven't been here on a Sunday morning, if you haven't attended the venue, I invite you to check it out at 915 in the North Auditorium. Um, we have an amazing time over there. Um, whoever speaks in here is on a screen in there. Otherwise, the 11 o'clock music that you just enjoyed is at 915 in that room. Um, so as we begin and we continue our series in Galatians, I want to tell you about a dysfunctional community that I was a part of in college. Um, so I grew up in my parents' house. When I was a freshman in college, I commuted, so I didn't move yet. And then when I was a sophomore, I moved into this duplex with two guys that I grew up with and then a fourth guy that we just needed to fill a spot. And we kind of all knew of this guy, but we really didn't know this guy, which is not a great way to find a roommate. Um, unfortunately, we learned that the hard way, and this guy was a, a nice enough guy, um, but he had these habits that got on our nerves, and so what would happen is, I believe he worked for the railroad, I could be misremembering that, but I think he worked for the railroad, and he would come home, so he was hot and sweaty from being outside all the time in the summer, and wherever he sat down, he would just take off his shoes and his socks, so it didn't matter if we were in the living room, or in the kitchen table, or we were downstairs, wherever we were talking, he would sit down with us, and he would begin to take off his shoes, and he would take off his socks, and then he would leave them there. And he would leave them there for days. 
So we were like, hey, man, you got to do something with your socks. you got to clean these up. Can you just put them in your room or in your hamper or in the washer? you got to do something with these. These are gross. And he wouldn't do anything. So we took care of it. And by took care of it, I mean we threw it in the trash. So we, he would leave his socks, and we'd go, hey, you need to do something with these. Nothing. We just take them and throw them in the trash. And his socks started disappearing. And he didn't know where they're going. He couldn't figure it out. And as you can probably tell at this point, I'm not a very good follower of Christ if I was. And he was like, hey, Jordan, do you know where my socks went? I can't find them. And he's like, I don't know. That's weird. It must be the dryer or something. I'm sorry about that. That's weird. Unfortunately, that's not the only thing we did to this guy. Because he also wouldn't wash his dishes. And so his dishes would begin to pile up in the sink, and then they would begin to overflow onto the counter. And so we did like, man, you got to wash your dishes. Can you do something about your dishes? Oh, yeah, I'll get to them tonight. You wouldn't do them. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll get them to them tonight. Didn't do them. So then we took care of it. By took care of it, I mean when he wasn't in the house, we would put them underneath his bed. And so we would take all his dirty dishes, and we would just put them underneath his bed. And he could not figure out where they were going until he moved out. And he lifted up his bed, and there's all these pizza boxes and dirty dishes that we've just been shoving under there because we're 19-year-old boys, and this is how we deal with problems. So it was a very dysfunctional community. And I tell you that story about that dysfunctional community because today in Galatians, we're going to look at another dysfunctional community that Paul was writing a letter to because he wants to transform that community and he wants to paint a picture for who they could become and who they should become because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And so as we get into this today, what I want you to know is my goal with this message is to paint a picture for what our church could become. Now, please hear me. I think that our church is on a great track, and they are headed in the right direction. But this is who I I hope we become someday. And the things we're going to talk about in this message that Paul is saying the Galatians, he's telling them that they should be marked by. I hope there comes a day where our church is marked by these very same things. So let me pray, and then we begin. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness. God, I thank you for all these men and these women and these children in the auditorium this morning and the people watching online. God, I pray that you would use Galatians 6, 1 through 10 in their hearts and their lives. God, for those that are weary this morning, they're tired, God, would you, would you infuse them with energy by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you remind them of who you have created them to be? Would you remind them that you are going to harvest goodness? That all of their good deeds, all of their effort is not wasted, but God, you are going to use it. God, for those that need restoration, God, I pray that you would, they would find restoration this morning in you and through Jesus Christ. God, would you please help me to be clear and concise as we talk about these passages. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So before we get too far um, along, I want to remind you of the outline that Adrian has given us for the book of Galatians. And so he, he shared this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was so awesome that I wanted to use it again because it really gives us a picture of where we're going to be today and where we've been. So chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians is all about the gospel of the crucified Christ. And so what Paul does in the first two chapters of Galatians is he hammers the gospel, and he reminds them of what they believed before he left that they are rescued and redeemed because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. That is nothing that they've done on their own apart from putting their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the family they were born into or the race they were born into or what laws they keep or don't keep. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for them. 
And then in chapters 3 and 4, he moves on to talk about how this new gospel, or this gospel that he's been sharing with them, it creates one new multi-ethnic community. That no longer are they primarily and first and foremost identified by their gender, whether it's male or female, with their race, whether it's Jew or Gentile, or whether it's their social, social status, whether they are slave or free. What they are identified first and foremost by is that Jesus Christ laid his life down for them. And they have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus Christ. They have been bought and purchased by his sacrifice and his blood on the cross. And that is what they should be identified by. And that's the community that is formed. That is the church and family that is formed because of what Jesus has done for them. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to flow into what this community then becomes or what it does. And so in chapters 5 and 6, it says, this community that's been formed by the gospel, it's free of all legalism, and these people are transformed by the Spirit. And so no longer can we say, you have to look exactly the way that I look, you have to do things exactly the way I do them. Instead, it's we need to become more like Jesus, that all of us are striving to look more and more like Him in the way we act, the way we think, and what we say and do. And then we begin to learn about how the Holy Spirit transforms this community and makes it into a new community. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The easiest way to find Galatians, it's in the New Testament, towards the back of your Bible, is to look for 2 Corinthians, because 2 Corinthians is a big letter, and it comes right after that. And then we're going to look for Galatians 6, so the big 6, little 1. So we're going to read and stop, read and stop. So 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And so he has this little phrase in there. He says, you who live by the Spirit. What does he mean by that phrase? What does he mean by you who live by the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, Paul has been talking about how the Spirit transforms new believers. And if you were here last week, Aaron talked about this as well. And in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which a lot of versions will translate as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what I think Paul is saying to the Galatians is he's saying, Galatians, there are people in your group, there are people in your community that you have been transformed and changed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come into your life and is beginning to produce these fruits. That your life is becoming to become more and more marked by these things, the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the patience, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. So says, if that's you, what I want you to do is I want you to come around and come alongside the people in your community, the people that you know that are stuck in sin. And what I want you to do is I want you to restore them gently. Now, this is completely different than what was happening in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the, the community, when someone in that community became unclean, what they would do is push that person out. They would push them outside the camp, or they would push them outside the community, and they would cut them off until they became clean again, or they were just cut off forever. 
And so Paul is saying, no more do you have to be afraid of people's sin getting on you. Now, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can go to those that are stuck in sin and you can restore them gently. And so the first takeaway we have from Galatians chapter 6 is that a spirit-filled community, it restores other people. A spirit-filled community, its goal is restoration, not pushing people out, not cutting them off. It's restoration, it's to restore others. That as we are filled with the Spirit, our goal should be to restore the people around us that are stuck in sin. So he's challenging the Galatians to become this kind of community that restores each other. And then he goes on in verse 2. And he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what does he mean by the law of Christ? You guys are asking all the right questions this morning. Thank you. So... If you look back at Galatians 5, 14, Paul says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul is quoting Jesus, where there's this moment where Jesus is teaching a crowd, and this guy comes forward in the crowd and says, Hey, Jesus, if there's only one command, there's only one command I can follow or I can keep, which one is the most important? And Jesus says, well, the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is equally important, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul is reminding them that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to do for them what we would want them to do for us. We should treat them in the way we'd want to be treated. And I'll add to this, John 13, 34, and 35. You don't need to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So these verses, they come right after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And washing someone's feet in this time period is the lowest job possible for a servant. That the lowest servant in the household would wash people's feet as they come in because their feet are gross and disgusting. And so Jesus has just done this for the disciples. He just lowered himself and served them by doing this. And now he's saying, I want you to do for each other what I just did for you. I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. And so when Paul says the law of Christ, I believe what he's saying is that we should serve and love one another. We should serve and care for and love our neighbors. So when he says carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ, when you carry someone's burden, you are loving them and you are serving them. And everybody in this room at some point in your life is going to have a burden that's too big for you to carry. You're going to have something that comes, you come up against that's just too large for you to handle on your own. And it might, the only thing maybe is your sin and your shame and your guilt. And Jesus Christ is going to carry that to the cross for you. Jesus Christ did carry that to the cross for you. And so he's saying when we see someone whether it's in our community, our faith family, or it's outside in the community, that we see that they are in need and we have the ability to help them. They have this burden that's too big. He says we should come alongside them and we should carry their burdens. Then he goes on. In verse 3, he says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. So he says, Galatians, there's some people in your church that they think they're really important, but they're not. He says, this is how you can know if you're actually important or not, if you actually are deceiving yourself. He says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So he says, Galatians, what I want you to do is I want you to stop looking over here and comparing yourself to that person over there and saying, that guy's not caring very much. I'm carrying twice as much. I'm awesome. 
or looking over there and going, that guy's carrying twice as much as I am. I must be terrible. So stop comparing yourself. What I want you to do is I want you to look at your own life. Look at your own life and say, am I carrying what God is asking me to carry? Am I carrying what Jesus is asking me to carry? And if I am, then I am doing what God is asking me to do. So here's the reason why it's so easy to deceive ourselves when we go to comparison. And why comparison is always so troubling and so hurtful. If you go back to my roommate situation, if you had asked me when I was 19, you said, Jordan, are you a good roommate? I said, no, I'm a great roommate. I'm amazing. You go, well, why, Jordan? Why are you such a great roommate? Well, one, I pick up my dirty socks. I put them in my hamper. I wash my laundry. I don't leave it around the house. Two, I clean my dishes. And if I forget to do it and someone asks me to do it, I do it. So I'm an amazing roommate. But let's take a step back and look at the actual data. Okay, so one, I was literally throwing away my roommate's socks. Not a good roommate thing to do. Two, I was literally hiding his dirty dishes under his bed. Also not a good roommate thing to do. That if you're looking for a roommate, you're filling out a resume to say, this is why you should let me into your house. Those are not two things to put on it. I was not a good roommate. But I had deceived myself into thinking I was awesome because what I did was I compared my do's to his don'ts. And when we compare that so much of the time, what we do is we don't compare do's and do's and don'ts and don'ts. We compare our do's to their don'ts. Or we compare their do's to our don'ts. And then what happens is we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're way worse than we are or that we're way better than we are. And so Paul is saying, instead, Galatians, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your own life and say, am I doing what God's asked me to do? Not what he asked that person over there to do or that person over there. What, is, what have you asked me to do, Jesus? And so the second takeaway we have this morning is that a spirit-filled community, it helps carry others' burdens. That as we are a community that is filled with the Holy Spirit, as we are transformed by the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control coming into our life and flowing out of us, we should be people who begin to carry other people's burdens. Go on to Galatians 6, 6 through 9. It says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So let's pause, because that seems weird. He just got done talking about people carry your own burdens, and then he's like, nevertheless, you should continue to support your pastor. You should continue to support the person who's teaching you the word. It's like, why, why would he do this? Well, I think he did this because he realized, I just gave my entire Galatian church an opportunity to say, we don't have to support our pastor anymore. You just told us that everyone's got to carry their own burden, so that guy needs to carry his burden too and get a job. And so Paul is saying, he is carrying his burden by teaching you the word. He is carrying his burden by doing that part, and you should continue to share all good things. Now, I say this just because Galatians is saying this, that you guys do a fantastic job. You guys are very generous. You do a great job of supporting the ministry. We say it over and over again because we're so thankful of the way that you support the ministry that happens here. But it's in Galatians, so I have to address it. So now we're moving on. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So now Paul is saying to the Galatians, don't trick yourself. There is a system that God has put in place that when you plant something, you're going to harvest what you plant. That if you plant cucumbers, you're going to harvest cucumbers. If you plant tomatoes, you will harvest tomatoes. That there is no farmer that goes out in the spring and plants soybeans in his fields and then goes back to those same fields in November and harvests corn. He will harvest what he plants. 
So then he applies it to their situation. He says, in verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. So there's this list of desires that are sinful desires that are pleasing to the flesh back in chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. You don't need to go there now, but those are what some of the things Aaron talked about last week. And he's saying, Galatians, if you continue to invest in those things, you continue to plant those things in your life, the only thing you should expect to harvest from them is destruction. That don't deceive yourself, don't trick yourself into thinking that I can plant all these sort of evil desires and I'm going to harvest goodness or righteousness. That if you plant and dwell on evil desires, what you're going to get is more evil. It's not going to turn itself out somehow where it's going to be good. It's going to be evil. So he says, we need to put those things to death. He said that back um, in verse 24 of chapter 5 where he says, we who've been crucified with Christ, we put to, we've crucified the flesh with his passions. So then he goes on, he says, in verse 8, he says, Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It says, for the person, Galatians, the, the person in your church who they invest and they pour out in the Holy Spirit in that, what I mean by that is that they invest in the behaviors and the thoughts and the desires that makes Jesus more attractive, that makes him more beautiful to behold and more wondrous and, and awe-filled. He says, invest in those things. As you invest in those things, then more of the Holy Spirit is going to become evident in your life. And more of this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is going to become evident in your life. He says, that's what you're going to reap. And so continue to invest in these things that are going to stir, stir up the Holy Spirit that's going to increase it in our lives. So that can be things like memorizing Bible verses reading the Bible, listening to messages, listening to worship music, taking walks, riding your bike, whatever it is that helps you to connect with Jesus. He says, do more of that because that is going to increase the Spirit inside of you. It's going to increase, increase these fruits of the Spirit. And he says it's going to lead to eternal life. And what he means by that is that when we do these things, it's going to be a signpost or a marker that says we really have put our faith in Jesus. So the act of salvation comes when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. But an effect or an evidence that we have put our faith in Jesus is that these, these Holy Spirit gifts begin to appear in our life. The fact that we are investing and in pursuing these good behaviors and these good desires are evidence that we have been rescued and saved. So then he says... In verse 9, he says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I love that he says this. I love that he says this because Paul gets it. Paul understands how tiring and how easy it is to get weary when you do good. That truly is easy to get weary when you do good. And one of the reasons is because when you do the act of good, so much of the time the harvest or the effect of that good is not seen for years, sometimes decades. So let me give you an example. So many of you in this room are parents, but some of you aren't parents, but you maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, or you have had a long-term friendship, or you've mentored somebody. And as you've invested in them, and you've poured your life out to them, they just don't really understand all that you're doing for them that your kids don't understand all that you've done for them. 
All the, the sacrifices you made, the battles that you fought, it was for their good for the long term, not just in that moment. But I've heard from many parents that there's this moment that comes when the phone rings. And it's a son or a daughter who finally understood all that you did. And they say, Mom or Dad, thank you for all the ways that you love me. Thank you for all the ways that you fought for me, all the ways that you discipled me and you disciplined me. Thank you for all the things that you did in me that I never thanked you for at the time. That I finally understood all that you did for me when I held my son for the first time or I held my daughter for the first time. And I finally understood the love you had for me that I really never understood until now. And so long after you fought all the battles, long after you did all those things, now you're beginning to understand now you're, sorry, now you're beginning to receive some of that harvest. And some of you are still waiting. You're still waiting for that phone call from a son or a daughter who's still running from Jesus. They're still running, and they're running, and you're running. Don't give up. Don't get weary. That there is a harvest coming. That Jesus is not going to waste your pain. He's not going to waste your prayers. Don't give up. That there is a moment that's going to come where some sort of harvest, I can't promise that it's going to be the salvation of your son or your daughter, but there is going to be some sort of harvest that will come because you continue to be perseverant in pursuing them. You continue to be perseverant in loving them and doing good. The last thing that I love about this verse is that Paul says, let us. He doesn't say let you. He says, let us. That it is a collective, it is a we thing, not a me thing. Which doing good is so much easier when you do it as an us thing instead of a me thing. And for those of you that are weary and tired, I encourage you to come with your life group and say, I'm weary, I'm tired, I want to give up. Would you remind me that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me? Would you remind me that God is not going to waste my pain or waste these prayers, but he is going to do something in our lives? that I need you, I need to lean on you in this moment. I need you to encourage me. That when you're on your own, there's no one to encourage you, but when it's a we thing, when it's a let us not get weary, then there's this opportunity for us to encourage one another when we get tired. It's an opportunity for us to encourage one another and spur each other on to continue to do good works when we're ready to give up. So from all of this, what I hope that you see is that a spirit-filled community, it goes all out to live like Jesus. That it is 100% committed to live like Jesus. That it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday thing. It is a, my entire life is dedicated to living for Jesus because of what he did for me on the cross. So this is what Paul was saying to the Galatians. He's saying, Galatians, be all in for Jesus. Don't play with these other sinful desires. Put them to death and pursue Jesus fully. Because as you go all out for Jesus, you will reflect him well to a community that is in need of that Jesus. And then he goes on to Galatians 6, verse 10. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. He says, okay, Galatians, because this is who you are, because this is who God has created you to be by the power of the Holy Spirit transforming you and changing you, what I now want you to do, Galatians, is I want you to use every opportunity you have to do good as much as you can. And I want you to bless all people, but especially the family of faith, because they're either brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So as much as you can, bless them. But I want you to bless all people, not just them. And what we see is that a spirit-filled community blesses both the Christian and the non-Christian. That when we are filled with the Spirit and the Spirit begins to overflow out of us, we bless both our Christian friends and neighbors and church members and church family, but we also bless our neighbors who don't know Jesus. We bless our neighbors who want nothing to do with Him. Because there was a point when we didn't want anything to do with Jesus, and yet Jesus came and rescued us, and He blessed us, and He served us, and He cared for us. So I love the picture that Restore Ministries displays of this concept. That if you have gone to our webpage to fill out the Restore form, we've gone to their page. What I love is when you go there, you will not find a box that says, I am a Christian. You will find, this is my address, this is the help that I need, would you please help? And again and again, what Restore does is they walk into flooded basements and they walk into destroyed homes and fire-burned homes and they walk into hurricane-destroyed homes and they begin to restore what has been broken. And the reason they do that is because of what Jesus Christ has done inside of them and restoring someone's home is a tangible picture of what God has already done in them. And so they get to go and they get to share the love of Christ through serving someone and through caring for somebody. And they don't ask, are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? And so I hope that we become a community that is marked by love for everyone, whether they are a Christian or a non-Christian. That we love our neighbors, whether they follow Jesus or they don't follow Jesus. This is a big task. This is a big task that Paul is calling the Galatians to do. How do they do it? How do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let me tell you about a second set of roommates. So I moved out of the situation, the first dysfunctional one, and then I moved into a second roommate situation. And it was night and day different. So this roommate situation, it was two guys from this church, and they loved Jesus, and so we, we got along really well. And we didn't keep this record of wrongs about this many times this week you left your dishes in the sink or this many times I had to clean up your socks or your clothes or something. Instead, what it was is we were just loving and serving one another. So if someone forgot their stuff in the washer, instead of going and yelling at them and saying, hey, you gotta get your stuff out of the washer, more people than just you wanna use it, we would just move it over and throw it in the dryer. And it got to the point that we would pool our meal money together and we'd go buy groceries as a family or as an apartment instead of just me buying my stuff and them buying their stuff and then fighting over who got to use the kitchen. And so we would just cook together and we'd clean together and we'd eat together and it was this beautiful picture for me of what the gospel can do to a group and a community. And I didn't read a book between this one and this, and this one over here about how to be a better roommate. I didn't read a blog post about 10 ways to how to be a better roommate. What happened was Jesus got a hold of my life and he turned it upside down. And he made me new. And I'm gonna tell you that story in a minute. But first I want to read for you John 13, 34, and 35, which we read earlier, but it's, it says again, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That before Jesus ever asked us to do any of this, he did it for us. So before he's ever asked me to go restore somebody else, he restored me. 
Before he ever asked me to go carry someone else's burdens, he carried mine to a cross where he was nailed to them to a cross with my burdens. Before he ever asked me to go all out for him, he lived all out for me, that he was willing to even lay down his life for me and for you. And before he ever asked me to go bless someone who was a Christian or non-Christian, he blessed me when I was far, far away from him and I was running and I wanted nothing to do with him. He died for me and rescued me. And so the, the only thing, the only thing I want you to, to, to do today, the only thing I want you to do from this message is would you this afternoon, would you write out your testimony? Would you write out your story of how you came to believe in and trust in Jesus? And so I want to walk you through that, what that looks like with my story. So the first question you're going to answer is, who was I before I met Jesus? Who was I? So let me tell you about me. So I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I knew of Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And so what happened was I got into middle school and into high school, and I began to have these two different personas. So in public, I was a very polite person, a very kind person. I watched how I, what I said and different things like that. And I strived to be someone that people would um, applaud and think that I was awesome. But then in private, I was a completely different person. That I said whatever I wanted to say, I thought whatever I wanted to thought, I acted and did and looked at whatever I wanted to do. And so as time went further and further along, there came to be this chasm that was formed between these two different identities I was living. And this chasm began to be filled with guilt and shame and self-loathing and lostness and loneliness. And I was convinced that no one would ever want to be around me and no one would want anything to do with me. And so that's who I was before Jesus got a hold of me. And then I met Jesus. In November 2007, I came to this very church. And I walked in here and I was lost. And I heard about a college ministry that they had here. And so I came to the college ministry that night. And as I sat in the very back row of that college ministry, it was a night where they did testimonies and baptisms and they sang. And as people were baptized and they told their story, I heard story after story of how I was a mess and Jesus rescued me. I was filled with guilt or shame and Jesus rescued me. I was filled with, with guilt and Jesus rescued me. And then we sang these songs about how much God loved me and how much God loved them. And as we, I sat in the back of that room, I began hearing Jesus knocking on my heart saying, Jordan, I want you. And I began to think, Jesus, why would you want me? My, my life is a mess. I have destroyed it. I have burned it to ashes. Why would you want this? He said, Jordan, I don't care about all of that. I want you. And so on that night, I said, Jesus, you can have what is left of my life. That I'm tired of running my life. I'm tired of giving the direction to my life because all I have been doing is destroying it. So you get to direct it from now on. You get to tell me how to live. You get to tell me what to think and to do and to say, now it's all yours. So that's how I met Jesus. So then how has Jesus transformed my life? Well, I am no longer controlled by sin. I'm no longer controlled by guilt or shame. I'm no longer controlled by lostness or loneliness. That those things have no hold on me. They have no claim on my life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. But I want to be clear. There are days that those things, they come and they knock on my door. 
And they try to say to me, Jordan, you're still guilty. You can't really be forgiven for those things that you did in the past, or those things that you thought, or those things that you said. You can't really be forgiven for those. And I have to remind myself, no, I am because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That I am rescued and redeemed because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, not because of anything I did in the past or anything I will do in the future, because of what Jesus has done for me, that and that alone. So you have no hold on me. And that is who I am now. That is the freedom that I have now. And as I think about that, my heart fills with gratitude. As I think about that, it fills with this desire to go and restore other people the way I was restored. Because as I think about that, I remember what it was like to not be restored. What it was like to be lost and alone and think that I was garbage. And so now when I see someone that is in that situation, I want to restore them. Not because it's the right thing to do, because I want to happen in their life what happened in my life. And then I want to carry their burdens. Because there was a point in my life where people carried mine. And so I want, out of gratitude for what all that Jesus has done for me, I want to carry their burdens. And I want to live all out for Jesus. I want to live all out for him because there were people who lived all out for him before me that I saw them and it gave me this picture of all that my life could be if I followed Jesus. So I want to be that now for other people. And then I want to continue to bless both the Christian and the non-Christian because of what Jesus Christ did for me that when I was not a Christian, he blessed me and he cared for me. And so this is, again, all I'm asking for you to do this afternoon is to write out your testimony and remember what Jesus Christ did for you. And just sit there for a moment and thank him and praise him. And then it makes all these things, not just duties we have to do, but it makes them a joy of gratitude that, God, I get to do this. I get to be a part of your plan. I get to be a part of your story here in Kearney, Nebraska. And so, again, I'm just trying to paint this picture as we close this morning of what I hope our church can become someday, that no matter what people believe in this community, in Kearney, Nebraska, they would say those people would be free, they'd restore people that are broken. That you don't have to hide there, you don't have to pretend that you have it all together, they let you be broken and they restore you, they walk with you and they help you. And I know there's many stories of that, but I am praying and begging God for more of them. And then also they carry each other's burdens. That they are there for you when you have something that's too big in your own life to carry on your own. They are there for you. And that those people that he free, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but those people believe in Jesus. Those people are all in. They're not just like Sunday people where it's kind of this thing they talk about on Sunday and the rest of the week, it's whatever else. They are all in on Jesus. And then finally, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or non-Christian when it comes to the Carnegie Free people. They will love you and they will care for you. They will help you. They're the kind of neighbors that everybody wants. They're the kind of coworkers everybody wants. That's why I, I hope someday we become like this Galatian church, what he's calling the Galatians to become. I hope we become that way. And I know we're on that path, but I hope that you see that there is this opportunity for us to be this shining light in Kearney, Nebraska, in, in your other communities if you're from someplace else. Let me pray. Father God, God, even as I say all that, I don't want to make the name of Carnegie Free great. I want to make your name great. So God, I pray that you would just make us into a people that would reflect you well. That you would make us into a group and a family 
that loves one another well, that carries each other's burdens and restores each other when we need restored and encourages each other when we need encouraged, then we live all out to the best of our ability for you. And God, I pray that we'd be the kind of neighbors and coworkers that we would bless and care for those people that are Christians and non-Christians alike. God, would you fill us with your spirit because it's only by the power of your spirit that any of this is possible. That on our own, we are doomed to fail, but with the Holy Spirit inside of us, you are going to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. So Lord, please do that in us. Do that in our church. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So now we are going to transition into communion. And in the auditorium, the way we do communion is that we will hand out um, the bread and then the music will play and as the bread is handed out and then I'll come back up and I'll lead us in taking the bread. So you, if you just hold it as you get it. But I, I love communion because it's this wonderful opportunity to remember your testimony, to remember your story. That as I hold this bread, it's a remind. I don't actually have bread. As, I, as you will hold the bread, it's this wonderful reminder that Jesus had to die for us. That I was doomed and unable to do anything on my own apart from Jesus Christ coming and helping me. And yet Jesus was willing to die for me and God the Father was willing to send him. And so no matter what it is you're facing, God is for you this morning. And communion is this wonderful opportunity to be reminded of that as we sit here in this moment. And so I invite you, if you are a Christ follower, to dwell on that moment. Dwell on who you were before you became a Christian because it's so easy to forget who we were. And as we forget who we were, it becomes harder and harder to live the way Jesus calls us to live because the gratitude disappears. The thankfulness disappears. So I invite you to just think about who was I when Jesus rescued me? So I'll pray and then we'll pass the elements. Father God, we thank you that you found many, 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 many of us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our despair, and you reached down into it and you pulled us out. God, and you made us far more than we ever thought or imagined we could become. And God, you restored what we thought would never be able to be restored, and you made new what we thought could never be made new. So God, I pray as we think about you and think about your sacrifice, God, that there would just be gratitude, just be the overflow of praise for what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this all in your name. Amen.